today. Uh, this was fantastic. My, my church, we actually, um, we've just begun meeting on Saturday nights, actually, rather than Sunday mornings, and we had a, a meeting last night. So, actually, everyone's got the day off today. They get to rest and do nothing other than just fellowship. But it's just great to be here and not to be missing out on my own church. Christianity, it's a, the way I think about it at the moment is, it's about learning how to cooperate with God. I don't know if you're anything like me, but I'm pretty good at not cooperating. Um, and what, does, what do I mean by that? Well, cooperating, as the way I think about it, is learning how to actually um, let God do the work that he's got planned for me in my heart. And I can be particularly resistant to that uh, by uh, doing other things and uh, avoiding uh, the issue. But uh, he pursues me, doesn't he? God pursues us and uh, doesn't let us get away. And this formation, this work that he does, it's nearly always in the waves. You know, we're, it's in that storm where God is at work. And it's painful, but the growth comes when we learn to actually say, I'm going to abide now. Um, I'm going to stay in the storm and I'm going to just trust God in this moment. I'm going to look at all the waves around me and I'm going to lift my eyes up. And I'm going to trust that Jesus is here with me and he's going to get me through this day. And some of you may be in those storms right now and it is tough, but that is where God does his work. When we begin to cooperate with him, then uh, he is able to do his work. This isn't the sermon, by the way, just an introduction. So uh, bless you all. I want to start by um, just telling you a little bit of a story about a gentleman called Terry. Um, so let me just begin with that. So on the wall of Terry's house hangs a calendar. The year is 1988. Uh, both of Terry's parents had died that year. Terry was 60. He had quickly spiraled into depression and wouldn't leave his house. The rubbish began to accumulate, but it was in fact the year 2000. Terry had been living alone for 12 years. His social worker reached out to Jeremy, the founder of Linking Lives, and asked if he could visit him. And at the time, Jeremy was um, was, had Linking Lives hadn't started at that point in time, but uh, this was one of the first people that. Uh, that he went to visit. So the first few weeks, Terry wouldn't open the door. Uh, the social worker and him would go round and they'd have to speak to him through the letterbox. Eventually, Terry let Jeremy into the house. And in the coming weeks, their friendship grew and trust began to build. Other than the neighbour who uh, would bring uh, food round for Terry, Jeremy was the only person that ever went into his house. And this was the beginning of uh, the story of linking lives. Uh, you know, for me, the question that came to my mind when I began this journey of what does church, what's the church supposed to do, was what difference are we making? Well, Jeremy's question was, how many more Terry's are there? You know, that actually are behind closed doors that nobody has any contact with, that are cut off and isolated. And what's my response? You know, what, what's that, what should we as church be doing when people are cut off and isolated? Now, Terry's story is pretty extreme. 
but unfortunately, more often than not, uh, we live in a society where loneliness is commonplace. Half a million people spent Christmas Day alone this last few weeks. AGUK estimates there are as many as three million people who were not looking forward to Christmas because it just brought, brings back memories of better times, you know, where maybe uh, partners were still alive or happier times from childhood. That's a lot of people who were not looking forward to Christmas. 3.9 million people in the UK would say TV is their main form of company, that that's their thing, you know, that's what actually tries to stave off the boredom and the loneliness is the TV. Vivek Murthy, former US Surgeon General, was quoted saying, the most common cause of death is not heart disease or diabetes, but actually it's loneliness. They say, well, what, you know, people don't die of loneliness. Well, if you're suffering from loneliness, you actually have a real risk, increased risk of heart disease. You're actually twice as likely to develop Alzheimer's if you're lonely. It's as serious as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's how much impact it has on people's health and well-being. You're 25% more likely to die younger if you're lonely. Loneliness is a bigger health risk in the UK than even obesity is. And we all hear how much obesity is in the news. As a, as a population, we are actually becoming an older population. For the first time in the history of the world, the number of over 64-year-olds exceeds the number of under 5-year-olds. That is some statistic. Never before in the history of the whole world have there been more older people than younger people. So our society is changing. So much so that in 2018, the UK point, appointed the world's first Minister for Loneliness, Tracy Crouch, and uh, to begin to, how do we address this particular problem? At the heart of this lies the erosion of the family. This is where all the problems begin. Now, I hope that I've cheered you all up and lifted your spirits with that encouraging opening. Um, Let's hope we can turn that around. I'm sure we will be able to inspire you this morning. Linking Lives' key Bible verse is this, Psalm 68, 5 and 6. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. God's church is family. That was my early experience as a, as a, as a young man, uh, that that church was family. So let me tell you a little bit more about my story. Uh, I grew up in Leicestershire uh, with my mum and dad, uh, my sister. Um, we're a fairly ordinary family. Uh, no history of involvement with church uh, at all. Uh, so the only time we kind of went to church was maybe where there was a scouts event on, you know, so you had to show up in uniform, or maybe there was a spring harvest the school had organised, and you'd go to the big drafty um, Anglican church. But we didn't have any contact, and we didn't know anybody that were churchgoers, um, and so that was us. Now, as a youngster, uh, from a fairly young age, I was a very curious young man in lots more ways than one, but I was very curious about 
life and always felt there was something that was missing in it. Um, so in my journey um, in life, uh, it was the year was 1982. I was 12 years old. You can work out my age if you really want to. Um, and I was at school, and uh, during one of the classes, the school administrator uh, came into the classroom and said, Nick, can you come to the headmaster's office? Now, generally, this is not good uh, at any point in time. I don't think, if anybody's got a story where they actually got called to the headmaster's office and it was for a good reason, let me know, because I don't think that it, that exists. Anyway, uh, I went in, and in the room uh, was one of my uh, mum's friends, uh, one of our neighbours, and uh, they sat me down and they said, I'm sorry to tell you that your dad has died. Um, He'd been killed in a road accident. Now, that following week was really tough, as you can imagine. I I was given the week off, uh, went home, um, and in it, though, what I knew was I was... I just had a peace. I had a peace and I had like a blanket of love wrapped around me where I knew that I was okay. Twelve months prior to that happening, I'd been invited by my best friend at school to go along to a Bible club on a Wednesday night at the local Baptist church. And after several months of going there, we went on a Bible camp down in Minehead and uh, somebody took them six months, but they eventually explained the gospel to me in a way that I could understand. And I thought about it. I thought, maybe this is for me. I didn't make a decision straight away, uh, but the following week at my grandmother's on the East Coast, I got my book out from that week, and I read through it, and I got to the back where it said, read the prayer. And I read, read the prayer, and I prayed the prayer, and I'd said, "If God, if you're real, then I want to know you, and I give my life to you. And God met me in a very powerful way. Um, I immediately knew everything made sense. It all became very real to me. And I went downstairs and I said to my mum and dad, I've become a Christian. Now, I'm not sure what the heck they thought, uh, but they probably thought this is not going to last long. Uh, Like most things, you know, scouts and other things that I'd quit, it probably wasn't going to last particularly long. But I think after a short amount of time, my mum began to come to church purely to find out what the heck was going on. You know, why was I still there? What was that all about? So in this week following my dad's death, um, I, God was with me. You know, God, I was in his family. You know, the way I look at that is God actually set me in a family a year before I needed it. And a year before I needed a new family, he set me there. And that was a blessing. But I was really fortunate as a youngster. You, your experience may be similar to mine. Is Church was my favourite place to be. Uh, you know, Sunday, great time in the mornings, uh, service. Uh, we usually ended up with somebody's house in the afternoon for food. We went back in an evening again. Sometimes we didn't leave church till 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. Um, and it was just a blessing, you know. And people, I, I had four or five families that that loved me, that I could go into their homes. Uh, one particular, uh, two brothers, um, they, would, they would never lock their back door. I could go in uh, any time I liked, and when they got home from work, they would be so pleased to see me, and they would say, you know, great, let's get the kettle on, get some biscuits out. If you're ever dealing with youth, you've got to have a lot of biscuits. So a real blessed time. Um, so... 
church, church is at its very best when it's family. No one needed to convince me of you know, the truth in that respect because the evidence was all around in the lives of the people that I came into contact with. There was no such thing as Alpha Course. Uh, you'd have to wait another eight years before Nicky Gumbel eventually got that one up and running. Uh, Marvellous as it is. Um, so, unfortunately though, what we have today in our culture is a, an attitude that the family is no longer seen as important. Or rather, any version of family is okay. That you don't need all the bits. You just need whatever shape it looks like. And that's what we're told. But we also have the added pressure that work will take people away. You know, So it may be for work reasons that we're separated. We're by distance from our relatives. And that adds extra pressure. Not only is family breakdown largely responsible for this epidemic of loneliness we have in the UK, but it's also the key driver in the spiralling costs of local government. So one of the reasons I'm here today is actually because the Cambridgeshire County Council and Cambridgeshire Police are funding the work of the church. So I work for two organisations. I work for Linking Lives and I work for another one called uh, Cinema Network. And Cinema Network have a partnership with both those organisations. And the reason we have that partnership is because both of them recognise that when the church is family, it saves them money. In, in simple terms. When we begin to reach out to our communities and befriend people, when we begin to include them and have community with them, they are less dependent and less needing of public services. Their health improves because they are less lonely. Therefore, they don't go to hospital as often. They don't call adult social services. These are the facts. This is why they are spending money to save money. Praise God. We also, though, live in an increasingly busy society where the mobile phone hasn't given us more time as promised, but has created more opportunities to fill those minutes to the point where we can't even finish one conversation uh, before we start another or another and another. And studies have shown that actually just by having a mobile phone present actually detracts from conversation. Just not even just sitting there, not even beeping or, or making any noise, no phone calls, but just it being there detracts from the communication between two people because there's the, are they going to look at their phone? Are they going to pick that phone up? Is that phone going to beep? Are we, are we going to finish this sentence before you decide that call is more important or that message is more important than the person in front of you? Please bear with me. We're going to get to the good bit in a minute. Um, so how can we avoid actually becoming like the world around us? Because unfortunately, sometimes we are somewhat similar to the world around us. You know, we're not actually totally immune from these cultural changes. And God has chosen for people to live in this family of church. This is his first and last idea of the way we should be living is church, family. There isn't a plan B, there's only plan A. John Ortberg, uh, a minister at Willow Creek, Chicago, 
was once speaking with Dallas Willard, professor of philosophy at the University of Southern California. Altberg described the pace of life to Dallas this way. The church where I serve tends to move at a fast pace, where we are in a car-driving, football league, piano lesson, school play years. What do I need to do to be spiritually healthy? That was his question. Long pause. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. That's great. Okay, I've written that down. Um, That's a good one. Uh, What's next? Long pause. That's it. There's nothing else. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. God is not hurried can be really frustrating sometimes when you want something doing and he's not cooperating with you. But God is not hurried. Jesus was not hurried. He would spend time with people and value them over and above whatever else was going on. If we're to be church at our best, then we need to find a way to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives that we might spend time and value people. What's preventing you from spending time with people? Do you have too much on? Or are you the kind of person that just struggles to say no when asked to do yet another thing by whoever it might be? Or do you leave things to the last minute like maybe I do occasionally um, because there's a really good series on Netflix that I need to find five hours for. And then I've got to figure out, I've only got about 30 minutes to do my sermon for Sunday and have to stay up extra late. Now I've got no time for my family because I've lost five hours of my week, basically. Family make time for one another. I think love looks like making time for people. Ephesians 5, 15, 17 says this. Look carefully then how you walk, not as wise, but not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. So it's, this is what fundamentally linking lives is all about. It's all about actually spending time with those who have nobody else, who are suffering with loneliness, an hour to sit down with someone and be fully present with them to be there with someone who really needs somebody else. This year, surprisingly enough, is the 20th anniversary of the start of Linking Lives. Uh, It started with just a handful of people in a church uh, who um, said, look, there's some more elderly people we know. They can't get to church anymore. We need to go to them and let's spend some time with them. And that quickly grew to a partnership of 19 churches across the area, Um, to where they were visiting 150 people a week to befriend and to be a support to those who are lonely. In uh, 2018, the charity then said, look, we've got a good thing here. How can we actually make this available to churches across the whole country? And began to uh, work with Cinema Network to roll that out. And so today, we've got over 30 Uh, projects running now up and down the country, of which 
shortly you'll be uh, one of those. I'd like to tell you a story about a lady called Jackie. She's 64. Um, has has an amazing uh, story. And I want to read it to you in her own words. We got her to write this down. I'm a big believer. You know, when sometimes we hear these stories in church, you just think, okay, how many, how many times has that been retold? Or, well, this is her story. We have, this is hers uh, as it was written for us. Okay, so let me just take a few minutes, if you don't mind, to read you her story. So a while ago, I was contacted uh, by Linking Lives um, through Emily, a social worker who was charged with social prescribing, and she recommended to get in touch with Linking Lives. At the time, I was poorly and had chronic degenerative conditions, and I was more than a little down. I felt quite sorry for myself when I first called Emma and totally embarrassed and inadequate to be asking for help. Emma arranged a visit after a few days and said it might take a while, but be patient because she wanted to find just the right person to be my befriender. Emma was lovely, but I felt a bit of a failure for having to admit that I'm lonely and in need of a friend at all. Emma was lovely. Sorry. Um, after a few weeks, Emma returned together with Wendy. Since, when, since Wendy, my befriender, entered my life, so much has changed. We arranged a meeting once a week and go out as often as possible. I use a wheelchair when outside the house, but Wendy didn't seem to mind at all. She very willingly and easily popped the wheelchair in and out of the car and certainly didn't give the impression that pushing me around was a chore. I was secretly listening for any sign of huffing and sighing in case it was getting too much effort. Isn't that fascinating? That we're being watched. We had wonderful times together. We went out, and for me to go out was a real rare and treasured treat. Smelling the earth, windy my hair, feeling the sunshine, listening to and feeling part of the chatter and bustle in cafes. We went out lots, shopping and many cups of coffee and cake. Wendy and I became good friends. Knowing Wendy gave me so much. She herself was a gift. She would come on a Monday and it was as if the sun shone suddenly on my entire week. The remaining days being full of happy memories. We chatted a lot about our families, religion, things that gave us joy. Last autumn was a dark time. I experienced a lot of heartache with my daughters, and Wendy was there. She was a rock. She gave up a lot of her time to help me plough through the mud. She helped me emotionally and helped me to get things sorted out on a practical sense. She, had, uh, she has helped me to remain upright through difficult times. She has been there just as you would want from a friend, always kind and generous and giving of her time her understanding, her acceptance, and her love. I suppose the area where Wendy touched my life most deeply was in my spirituality. When we first met, I was a very sceptical, agnostic atheist who hadn't much time for God and religion and all that stuff. Wendy, on the other hand, was a profoundly religious person. In fact, I had never met anyone who lived and embodied her religion 
and principles in their daily life so strongly and beautifully as Wendy did. She was truly inspirational. But the great thing was, she didn't push it. She knew where I stood, and I knew where she stood, and we each respected the other. But this thing, this religious thing, kept eating away at me. To see Wendy so committed, so devoted, so joyful and trusting, living her beliefs in everything she did, and always, always wanting to help people, that was an eye-opener. To be honest, it was something I wanted. I wanted some of that, but had no idea how it could possibly happen. Then came the day when Wendy and I went to Gloucester Cathedral. I thought we had gone to a tourist day out to admire the architecture. Wrong. We went to a short midday communion service. Tell you Christians, you can't trust them Christians, can you? So here I am, an avowed agnostic, bordering on atheism, feeling very uncomfortable at a communion service. The stage is set. Then wham! Something smacks me in the chest and my world has changed forever. Well, this time it's not another heart attack, more like a love attack. It was a sense of utterly overwhelming love and power and glory, yet all wrapped up in a sort of humility something so incredibly beautiful that it is way beyond my words to describe and experience some sort of deliciously deep, otherworldly experience that opened up something inside me that I didn't even know was there. Tears, many tears, but tears of love, of adoration, joy and yearning. The yearning of the soul for union. Not what I expected on a day trip to Gloucester. Wendy explained that the experience was like being touched by the Holy Spirit. I have no idea, still slightly sceptical, but I don't know, have a better understanding, so that's what I'm running with for now. So through Linking Lives and Wendy, I have made a connection with Christchurch in the forest, and life has sort of gone on a different track. Emma recently asked me what I'd gained through the Linking Lives befriending. I don't think she expected the answer, total transformation. That's the important one. But there are many, many other gifts. Friendships. I've met new people, been to new places, done new things. So I've felt more hooked into life somehow, more engaged and, of course, not so lonely. Because of the people I've met and the things I've done, I feel more alive, more stimulated, so less bored. That interminable boredom when you're on your own and can't get out. I've been blessed with loving, caring, practical support in the dark times when I've needed it most. I don't have to walk alone anymore. So all in all, Linking Lives and its lovely volunteers have quite genuinely been a godsend. I would like to say there are many people out there. I go to Great Oaks Hospice, which is brilliant, and have met people who are screaming inside because their lives are so empty and lonely. So if you're thinking of becoming a volunteer, please do. You'll probably enjoy it. If you're already involved in any capacity whatsoever, thank you deeply, I thank you. Kindest regards, Jackie. If you only remember one thing from today, 
remember this. Make time for people. Make time for friends. Make time for family. Take 15 minutes before the end of today and ask yourself, what do I need to stop doing? Be ruthless about your time. Strip something away that is preventing you from spending time with people to being fully present with those who need you. I'd like to give us an opportunity. Uh, it's an opportunity today. If, if you are feeling, actually, I am the one that's lonely. It's me, actually. And I've not told anybody. And I want, want you to, to have the opportunity to be prayed for, to come and to receive some of God's Holy Spirit. Maybe you're from the family that actually that wasn't, my, my family is broken. That's, that's actually my family that you're talking about and that hurts. Come, come, and, get, come, and, come and find a place. Come and meet with God this morning and receive his gift. Bless you all this morning. Thank you for listening so patiently. I'm going to hand back to uh, Giles. Thank you. Maybe I can um, have the prayer team and uh, some pastoral team just up the front here. I really believe that's a word for us, and I want to take a, take an offering this, mor- uh, this morning for the work and to start this project.